Welcome to the Careers for Net Zero podcast. As always, I'm Holly Taylor from the Energy Efficiency Council. And I'm Anita Talberg from the Clean Energy Council, and we're your co-hosts for this special limited series podcast. Careers for Net Zero showcases the many exciting career opportunities available to those wanting to deliver an equitable, prosperous and net zero emissions Australia. Over the course of this limited series, we've been interviewing 10 everyday Australians with careers across the clean economy, learning more about what they do, how they got there and how you can too. Achieving net zero emissions is a big job. Whether you're a student, a recent graduate or an experienced worker, you're needed. This podcast is designed to give you some ideas of how you can get involved. However, before we dive in, we want to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation in Nam, otherwise known as Melbourne. The Clean Energy Council and Energy Efficiency Council respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung peoples, as well as all First Nations traditional owners, and pay our respect to elders past and present. Next champion that we've invited to the Careers for Net Zero podcast is our investment analyst champion, Shada Orfinajad. Shada is an investment analyst at Squadron Energy, which is one of Australia's leading developers and operators of renewable energy assets in Australia. Thanks so much for joining us, Shada. Thank you, Anita. Holly, it's great to see you both again. Shada, what is an investment analyst and what do you actually do as one? Uh, So broadly speaking, investment analysts in industry and renewables specifically support with decision evaluation and analysis. So at a high level, these kinds of decisions pertain to spend that the company might want to make or helping develop their corporate strategy. Within our own team at Squadron, um, we have like an analyst pool and that pool of analysts helps support different areas of the business. So it can be dedicated to aid in project financing decisions, development of corporate strategy itself, as well as canvassing for different organic and inorganic growth opportunities. So, for example, something that I'm looking at today purely is um, different sets of competitors across the market and then drawing upon the differences and similarities between ourselves at Squadron and those competitors. So, Shader, it, it seems like investment analysts could theoretically be in any part of the economy, but you're specifically working in renewables at Squadron. What's the difference between investment analysis generally or within the renewable energy sector? Absolutely. So, I guess you have analysts across, say, for example, within private equity or you have them at investment banks, so you look at Macquarie or Morgan Stanley, um, or you have them within retail or, or any area or any business. So I guess the things that are specific to squadron and renewables is the types of projects that you're looking at. And say, for example, we're looking at electricity markets specifically, as well as um, other types of renewable energy. Um, so it's isolated to that specifically, whereas other investment analysts, say, for example, at an investment bank, will look across sectors. So they'll look at retail, they'll look at um, energy, like mining across different minerals, whereas we're really focused on just renewable energy. So wind, solar, and and other niche types of, of technology. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? What made you want to become an investment analyst specifically in this sector? It's actually quite funny. Um, I 
had originally applied for a grad program in contracts and procurement, so a very different work stream entirely, um, and then was almost redirected into the commercial team just by chance. Um, so it's honestly a little bit odd because there are lots of people who do kind of aspire to working um, in this specific area of the corporate sector, whereas I definitely just fell into it as a function of circumstance. And given that circumstance, are you happy to be here now? Like what, why do you like oh, yeah. that you're working in renewables? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really funny um, and it makes me think, you know, I'm, I'm a bit oddly superstitious sometimes and just, you know, everything happens for a reason. Like was this predetermined or, um, yeah, it definitely was in my best interests. So the people that had a look at my CV or prior experiences, studies and the things that I had worked on and, the, and had done the, because they would have done um, behavioural um, assessments or the psychological component of an interview and redirected as a function of that. So, yeah, super lucky and very grateful. So set the scene for us a little bit. What, what does a day in the life look like for an investment analyst in the renewable energy sector? Um, so at Squadron specifically, we work in a pretty dynamic environment, which means no two days are identical. So a typical day may involve our managers bringing the team up to speed as to what our priorities would be. And what type of things would you do in that day? Like are you spending a lot of time in meetings, chatting with different people? Are you crunching numbers in spreadsheets? Are you looking at an almost finalised project and going, yep, this is a good investment or no, we need to do X, Y and Z. What's like the bit of the, the tit for tat within their shader? Yeah, so there's definitely a fine balance between all of those aspects. So we do in part framing with different areas of the business to help, um, I guess, inform different work streams. So before we go and do a piece of work, we might liaise with, say, some of our development engineers, the finance team, um, as well as our own managers to understand, you know, what is the financing structure we want to use to underpin that decision or what do you think um, would be best for this project or which direction we'll take it in before we even start crunching the numbers. The, the number crunching kind of comes after all of that framing that you've done with your different key stakeholders and obviously you have, um, you're very, like, we're quite lucky, very senior members of the organisation helping to inform that, including um, our EGM in commercial, the CEO, the CFO, pardon me. Um, so there's a lot of thought and framing that goes into those kinds of project decisions before we um, calculate the numbers and cross-check and um, make a recommendation. So that sounds like from early on when you said CFO, you've got the Chief Financial Officer and EGM, the Executive yeah. General Manager, you're getting good opportunity to talk with, with senior people and with people within your team at that really early, I guess, incubation stage of a project mm -hmm. in that very early development and then as you're further along thinking about the finance. Like this seems like it's a relatively diverse job for what many of us would think is number crunching on Excel, um, but it's pretty diverse. What do you like the most about your job? Like what gets you um, excited to get up in the morning? Honestly, um, 
it, it's a mixture of things, including the team itself that I'm a part of. So there's a, the, a huge amount of support um, provided to all of the analysts. Um, and I mean that both like in a professional and personal capacity. So for example, like when I moved over to Sydney about a year ago, um, my manager had brought over a portable AC and um, a, a little copy machine. And, you know, these personal touches that really do make a, a big difference and make you feel a bit more comfortable to be yourself. Um, so there's that. There's a level of mentorship, um, which I find extremely helpful. Um, and we're also always encouraged to aspire for more or do or pursue, you know, whatever interests us. So at the moment I'm studying as well as working. Um, and, yeah, I would have said that, that that was something I always wanted to do while working and this was the first time in my career that I actually felt empowered enough to say to an employer, hey, um, I really want to do this. It's something I've always wanted to do. Can I do it? Can I drop down a day at work? What's the move here? Um, so, yeah, I think that's quite unique, honestly, and something that I'm eternally grateful for. Yeah, that sounds really supportive as an environment. We want to explore a little bit about your your background, your educational background. But first, I'm, I'm a little bit interested to ask you, so both the financial sector and the energy sector are really male-dominated industries. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, being a woman at this sort of cross-section of these two sectors, has that been an advantage or do you think an additional challenge for you? Um, it's a really interesting lens to look at um, the industry through. And I think if I step back two years ago working within oil and gas, um, I found that culturally also like quite apparent um and I would say like within the teams that I'm in I've always been fortunate to either have a, a very even split or alternatively um there have been teams that I've been in that have been predominantly female Noting that um, Anita lightly flagged that we wanted to talk to you about your education and, of course, you said you're currently studying, um, it'd be great to hear about what you're currently studying but also what did you study when you went to university and why did you pick it when you were in high school? So I guess while I was at high school, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to study. Um, I pivoted. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I pivoted towards economics after six months um, of my first bachelor, which was the Bachelor of Laws at Curtin, um, and then just changed my mind entirely. Um, and I think that was just a function of, like, different circumstances in my life and struggling with different things, working two different jobs and not really being able to visualise uh, where, where it was going or its real purpose, whereas... Something like economics, I could see offered a lot of security um, in terms of uh, job prospects and it, it felt like a very stable, safe pathway where I could very clearly visualise what you do as, you know, an economist or alternatively within finance. It had that level of flexibility that I didn't see within law at the time. Yeah, so it gave you a sense of like job security when you did graduate and I'm assuming you also enjoyed maths a little bit? 
Well, that's a hilarious thing. So that we didn't, like, while I was at high school, I studied ancient history, modern history, geography, biology, English and Italian. Um, So all social sciences, I actually dropped maths entirely um, with, like, by the time I was at the end of year 11, um, I just couldn't see any merit in, in pushing myself to do maths, which is really funny. This is like a great, great story though because you're effectively saying to like, you know, if someone's in their final year of high school right now and they're doing all the humanities, you're saying, well, if you change your mind later, you actually can transition across yeah, from... Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, like really honestly, um, I, I selected subjects that I had a natural affinity for because I knew that that was how I was going to get the highest ATAR that I could... I could get it. Um, and, you know, with languages too, um, at the time there was 10% of your of your score was added on top of your ATAR and I was really worried at the time. Like being in a low SES area, I had one teacher who really dedicated a portion of his career to helping us um, even when he'd moved on to different schools. But outside of that, um, not many people that I went to school with, honestly, uh, were interested in tertiary studies or, yeah, so it was just something where I was like, okay, this is my insurance policy. I'll just do the humanities. I'll do well. These are things that you can kind of rote learn, Um, whereas maths, obviously, you don't don't rote learn it. You're a bit of an inspiration, Shada, and we're really glad to have you you as part of this program. So you said you were working a couple of jobs while you were um, at uni. Uh, tell us about some of these early jobs you had and, and some of that career pathway you went through. What did you pick up on the way that you brought with you? Um, so I spent quite a few years working at McDonald's and then hospitality, honestly. So um, I guess the formative kind of experiences that I had there with being able to cope with very high stress situations um, and I mean that because you can imagine a drive through in Rockingham McDonald's when people are unimpressed um, you have people threatening you with violence and um, you have the police being called and you have brawls uh, because you're down the road from a pub and a cafe away from a nightclub um, you see a lot and it's really humbling experience like I definitely if I ever had kids would want them to work at a McDonald's because I want them to see you know what life is really like and um, the choices that people have to make which is you know for me it, it was that reality of okay well do I want to stay here and you know is this my life or do I want to do something else because I was doing the overnight shifts in the school holidays um, so working from, say, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. in year 11 and 12, um, only during the break periods, but that was enough to really push me to want more. It's really awesome that, you know, you're talking about how you've grown up needing to to work hard to support yourself and, and your family and you've really gone, well, what can I achieve with myself? And the really tactical approach that you took of going, well, how can I more easily do well, but then 
as you've, you know, aged and got into university, gone, no, no, this this, this sounds like a, a really good pathway for, for job security. And you mentioned also that you're studying something now uh, whilst yeah. working at, at Squadron. Can you tell us a bit of what made you want to study more and, and indeed what you're studying and how um, the organisation supported you with that? Absolutely. So it's so funny is that um, I think I mentioned earlier that I had initially started with a, a Bachelor of Laws. So I'm back at uni now studying the JD at UNSW. Um, and I've just found that, you know, with age and maturity and life experience, I, I feel far more better equipped to deal with those kinds of challenges or to rationally approach, you know, an assignment or, you um, different types of problems than I would have, say, five or ten years ago. Um, and so at the moment I'm studying full-time while working four days a week. So I was really, really grateful that I could just drop a day at work without it being, you know, an item of contention or, you know, no questions asked, just this is what she wanted to do, so we're going to give her the tools. Um, and, yeah. And so far, everything has been, I mean, my experience at university has been wonderful. There are so many people now later in life, like I thought, honestly, that I was going to be a bit of a toolie in my classes. I thought I'll be the oldest person. I'm going to look around the room and we all, you know, 20-something or very early 20s. And the reality was that I was the youngest person in the room and that, you know, I'm sitting at a table with, a GP and a data scientist at the RBA. They're just incredible people who are retraining. Like I felt um, quite inspired. One of the friends that I'd made throughout the course of the term uh, was a lawyer in Russia who has moved over to Australia and has to retrain and start from scratch because, you know, that's um, unfortunately not recognised here. Well, congratulations for starting that extra qualification, Shade, and we wish you you know, really good luck in that. This is certainly the generation where we need to be continually continually learning to stay relevant in this um, workplace that's continually changing. So well done. For those listeners that aren't aware, JD is a Juris Doctor, which is a Master's of Law. Um, and doing that full-time with working full-time is, um, is commendable. Can you tell us a little bit, Shada, about um, some of the people along your way that have supported you, championed you? You've already referred to a few of them. Um, who? What lessons have you learned from these people um, on your career pathway and what advice would you give to others seeking to maybe become an investment analyst in the sector? I think going all the way back to high school, one of the well, sorry, largest um, pillars of support in my life would have been a teacher that I had, Bilal Halim. Um, I feel like so deeply indebted to this one person who made it almost their mission in life to ensure that I graduated high school and um, even after the fact while I was at uni kept me, um, kept in touch with me and helped me um, kind of canvas um, for different different career opportunities and prepare for interviews. Um, I know that within the public sector, um, the the process is totally different, and 
his partner, um, who is an a absolutely wonderful person, helped coach me through the interview process. These things that I would have no idea about. Like my dad was a bus driver. My mum is a is a teacher's assistant. I just didn't know what to do. And so having people like that, these stabilizing forces that grounded you and just very gently guided you. Um, Made, made a world of impact that I just, I really struggled to even articulate. It genuinely sounds like you had someone championing you from a young age and that that person didn't just support you in high school but has been there for you as you've progressed in your learning, in your tertiary education and then later on when you were looking for jobs. And that's a really lovely story for all of us to think about how mentors can just be good relationships which can go beyond um, school or university or one workplace in particular. So have there been more people once you've been in the like renewable energy sector or do you still go back to this beautiful relationship that you first cultivated when you were a teenager? Absolutely. Um, So again, I've been very extremely fortunate throughout my journey um so I had a few mentors throughout the course of my I guess like tertiary education as well as um within the workplace at whether it be at Woodside or here at Squadron um and I think what's really helped me blossom as a professional is having a mix of both male and female mentors um, so having that real kind of adversity of thought and and different people to approach with different problems. Um, and, yeah, it has been so, I, I, I don't know, again, I struggle to describe the impact other than, you know, sometimes it's very clear direction or, you know, I'm naturally quite an indecisive person and sometimes I probably do spend too much time weighing up, you know, the the pros and the cons of everything under the sun. Um, And sometimes it's that mentorship or that guidance that just says, nope, like you've you've already made up your mind. Stick with that initial option or or your instincts here. You're going to be just fine. So it's giving you the confidence to back yourself so that people around you, whether that's been, uh, you know, when you weren't working in renewables but now that you are working in renewables, enabling you to be the best that you can be. So now that you are in renewables and you're being the best that you can be, why do you think it's important that you have a clean economy career. So you're supporting our transition to net zero emissions and indeed supporting the exponential growth of the renewable sector in Australia. It's very interesting because um, climate change is such a far-reaching issue, right? Um, And I think, um, you know, if you look at it from the perspective or the lens of, say, as global citizens, it's not just important for us within Australia. It's it's we as um, privileged countries um, or, say, as part of the global north, the onus is kind of on us to both pave the way or pioneer um, the ways towards net zero um, climate innovation or strategies to tackle climate change 
to elevate the, the global south. Um, and I think what's really, really scary is that it's not until things are at a, at a catastrophic level that we typically see action. So, for example, um, if you think back to the Montreal Protocol of 1987, um, when there was this huge fear around ozone depletion and chlorofluorocarbons because it was actually happening um, and you could, you could actually feel the impact um, and see it, that um, we have successful multilateral agreement um, across the world. And that was, say, 40 years ago. Um, you know, <laughs> it's 2024. Uh, that makes me scared and, and it makes me proud that, you know, Australia is actually trying to make a difference or headed in that direction. But, you know, we can always do more. I think like, you know, really critically there, you've unpacked a few different concepts that some of our listeners might not be familiar with, but they do really come to the crux of, you know, the climate crisis. You're talking about Australia um, being in the global north because we're a wealthier country and the fact that we are all global citizens, meaning we want a better world, we want to work towards that together. And really specifically talking about the multilateral, as in multi-governments around the world, contributing to the success of the Montreal Protocol and effectively saying we all need to work together um, to get a solution to climate change, to tackle the climate crisis. And is that something that you enjoy doing, that you're working with lots of different people to tackle this, um, what is sometimes viewed as a very sticky, difficult problem? I guess even a very small step forward or that, you know, small incremental benefit is helping to pioneer the pathway towards net zero. It might even just be one turbine, but that's still slightly less of a reliance on, on you know, a, a, an oil field or a gas field or a coal field. Um, and I think what was really interesting moving over to New South Wales was to see that abundance of coal coming from WA. I had never seen it, if I'm completely honest. When we were at Port Kembla for the first time and looking around um, and seeing just all, all the different pieces of industry and how dependent North New South Wales is on coal, um, it was quite shocking. It was jarring. And I had just never seen it before. So, Shada, this is, this is your opportunity to pitch your career as a great career choice. Um, just imagine you've got a, a group, a classroom of high school students. Um, sell them your job. Why would why should they choose the investment analyst pathway into something like the renewable energy sector? Um, I guess without glamorizing it and um, just taking a, a, a very focused look in the direction of corporate finance and renewables and not corporate finance on the whole, which is like quite often quite highly coveted by a lot of students, right? It's something that most people look at, say, investment banking specifically, and I think, yes, I want to be an investment banker because uh, of X, Y, Z. They've watched, you know, a certain film and they've got this idea of what that lifestyle is like. Um, so I would say the skill set that you cultivate in, commercial analysis or as an investment analysis is something that you can take anywhere so it's so flexible 
Um, and it's almost a way of thinking and a way of problem solving that you'll continue to use for the rest of your life. I can't see myself, even if I were to change careers in, in a couple of years, there was, I would always take the skill set with me in any kind of decision um, making process. So, for example, uh, you know, obviously, housing market here on the East Coast, very difficult to crack into, but I could still take the skills that I've got as an analyst and apply that to figure out, you know, where do I want to buy a house? Um, how much am I willing to pay? What kind of gear, how, how much debt do I want to take on it? And why? And what do those repayments look like? Um, there, it, it's just, it gives you a way of approaching any kind of problem set. Um, and, you know, you can work as a consultant and use this and help businesses, you know, either um, reassess uh, their decision-making or you can work within private equity or anywhere else. You can just take it anywhere, which is the, one of the best things about it. Um, and the second thing is, I guess, it's such a dynamic space that, you aren't just looking at the project in front of you. You're always bearing in mind what are the other forces at play. So, for example, you'll be canvassing across, like, different um, sources of news, trying to understand uh, broader trends, and then tying that back to the recommendations that you're making um, in, in any context because there'll be different, different forces that you'll need to be aware of. Shader, it basically sounds like you're saying as an investment analyst, you can work pretty much anywhere across the clean, the whole economy and you can utilise those skills in your personal life to help you with things that many of us aspire to do, like own our own home. But, but critically, as you highlighted before, you know, climate change is something that's important and you've chosen to use those skills in the renewable energy sector so that we can deal with this big problem and get more renewables out and more coal gone. Absolutely, yeah. And and that's, you know, today it's um, wind farms, tomorrow it might be hydrogen, right? Um, and that's the beautiful, um, the beautiful part about being an analyst is that, you know, it doesn't matter what you're looking at because you take the skill set and then you tailor it to to the next problem and the and the following problem. Um, and today the issue is climate change. I sincerely hope that in 20 years we're, we're looking at other things because you know we're we're on track. Whereas right now I still don't have a lot of confidence that we are truly on track. Um, but obviously this campaign and um, there are lots of things in play or um, policies in the works that, you know, might get us a bit closer, which is still something to celebrate. Chada, I just want to say huge thanks for joining us today, but also critically for utilising your many skills for choosing to not make bank um, as a financier, but in, instead uh, use your very useful skills supporting the renewable energy sector to grow. Um, thanks so much, Shada. It's a real pleasure to have you. Thanks so much, Holly and Anita. It was great to hear from you both again. The Careers Finance Zero podcast is proudly brought to you by the Clean Energy Council and the Energy Efficiency Council. You can learn more about Shader and how you can become an investment analyst and other clean economy careers at careersfinancezero.org.au.
Get the latest Careers for Net Zero episodes delivered directly to you by subscribing to Careers for Net Zero on your preferred audio provider and by following our socials at Careers for Net Zero on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. And if you want to give us any feedback or ask any questions, reach out to the team via email at careersfornetzero at eec.org.au. Tune in next week for a discussion with another champion to learn more about their career journey and how Careers for Net Zero can help you find your role in Australia's clean economy. <laughs>